0: Well, welcome to Palm Vista Community Church as we do begin our Advent series. The title of that series is Longing for Glory, Longing for Glory. And I have found that Christmas, like no other holiday, captures our longing for glory. There's a longing within each one of us, deep inside every man and woman, to recapture the glory that seems to escape us. In this turbulent, chaotic, sad, fallen world. Sometimes that turbulence and that lack of glory shows up in sickness. It can show up in a boss that's not treating you very fairly. It can show up in broken relationships. It can show up in disappointment. But we have this longing. Every man and every woman desires to capture the glory that somehow, innately, we know we're missing out on. There's something more. And Christmas really does sort of capture that or try to capture that. This is the time of year where we express that longing for glory in parties, in family gatherings, coming home for Christmas, and giving one another presents, enjoying good food, eating, drinking, the warm feelings if just for a night or two and the fond memories that we have together. It's a time of year where we try to be kind to one another, When warring nations typically have called Christmas truces. Just for a moment, a night, a respite from the war and hostility without and within. And we feel goodwill and peace toward all. We express these longings for glory in the songs that we sing. The good feelings we enjoy. The holiday movies we watch with heartwarming endings like It's a Wonderful Life. Or While You Were Sleeping... Whichever one is your favorite. We flock to Disney with its marvelous Christmas lights and fairy tale endings. These all express our longing for glory. And they are, to be sure, a small foretaste of the true eternal glory that arrived with Christ's first advent and will be culminated or consummated at his second Advent, And that is, after all, what Advent is all about. The word Advent, coming, it's celebrating the glory of Christ's coming. His first coming, 2,000 years ago, and his anticipated and prophesied second coming in the future. True, eternal glory. The glory that we all long for, whether we know what we're longing for or not, is only possible in Christ's Jesus. Only Christ can fulfill our longing for glory that gives expression to itself in some of the ways that I mentioned. Only he can restore the glory that we lost. Now, dear non-Christian friend, thank you for being here this morning, but I want to talk to you for a moment about the glory we lost. What I'm talking about is this. At the beginning, according to the Christian Bible, God created man and woman, Adam and Eve, and to enjoy His glory. In the Garden of Eden, He created them to enjoy His glory. But they and we in them, according to the Bible, lost that glory. That's right. We lost the glory God intended for us in paradise. In paradise. See, God created Adam and Eve to exercise dominion over his creation under his kind and good rule. But Adam and Eve decided to go their own way. They said, no, we want our own glory. They rebelled against God and they lost the glory of God at that moment. What they received was the just punishment for their rebellion, and that is death. And ever since then, Down to today, we have been laboring under the curse of death and we have been longing for the glory that we lost because we know there's something better. We're made in the image of God, we know there's something missing. But the Bible says that apart from God's grace, we're blind to what it is. So we try to fill it with everything else. And somehow, at the end, when we pack up all the gifts and pull down all the decorations, We think it's another year, and the glory that I long for somehow hasn't been satisfied. We got a glimpse of it, but where is it? Today, this morning, I pray that we would be encouraged that that glory has come, and there's a promise of the fulfillment and the consummation of that glory in Christ Jesus. This glory that we lost and longed for, Christ came to restore In fact, the title of the message this morning is Bringing Many Sons and Daughters to Glory. Bringing Many Sons and Daughters to Glory. So I invite you to turn to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 10 to 18. And as you're turning there, I just want to ask God to enable us to understand his word and that he would give us great grace as we study his word. Let me pray while you're turning to Hebrews 2, 10 to 18. Father, I pray that you would use your word to encourage your people as we look at the glory that you restored by sending your son to suffer and die for us, raised him from the dead, gave us life and promised us the glory to come. Lord, I pray that as we begin this Advent season, as Christmas is upon us, in all of the rush and craziness, oh Lord, may this message truly fuel our joy, in Jesus' name, amen. Hebrews chapter 2, beginning in verse 9, Hebrews chapter 2, beginning in verse 9, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that, by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. This is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Since, therefore, the children share in flesh and blood like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people for he, for because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Jesus, according to verse 9, is crowned with glory and honor because he suffered and died to recover the glory we lost. We need to understand this glory that we lost. Point one, the glory we lost. If you notice the word for there at the beginning of verse 10, for it ties it into verse 9 and actually verses 5 to 9, and it speaks of the glory that we lost. And if you look at these verses, verses 5 to 9, very briefly, you'll notice that the author of Hebrews is quoting Psalm 8. He's quoting here Psalm 8, 4 and 6, and it's a curious quote. He says that though he's made a little lower than the angels, verse 7... You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now I'm putting in everything in subjection under him. He left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. And then verse 9 that we read this morning. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for all. Let me see if I can explain this glory that we were created for. This this thing that we all long for. At the very beginning, God created Adam and Eve in his image. And he created all of creation. And he said to Adam and Eve, as one's created in my image, I'm going to A, share my glory. You're going to be relating to me perfectly in the garden. So the glory of God, man and God are walking together in the garden. And then B... I'm going to put you in charge of my creation. The biblical word there is dominion over the creation. So you're going to have dominion over the creation underneath my rule. I mean, think about it. This isn't all of us. Like, I just want to have dominion over fixing my toilet last week. But it rarely happens. I just want to have dominion with finding out why my car smells like gasoline every time I drive it recently. Can I just figure out how to fix the sink? How about just dominion over my kids' education? Can I just figure out how to do something and do it well? It's in all of us, right? We, we want to be able to exercise dominion over the world God has given us so that it runs well. We'd like our politicians to figure out how to run our economy well. We'd like wars to end. We'd like highways to work well. We'd like the 25-year construction project on the Palmetto to finally end one day. (laughs) But but we laugh about that, but but it's in you, isn't it? It it kind of just... Can someone figure out what's going on here? Hit the pause button. No. Yes and no. They can a little bit. But because of the fall... When man said no to God and yes to his own will, he was cursed. And so suddenly molecules and DNA don't line up, and children are born with horrible, horrible problems. And and cancer mo- and molecules and cells multiply way faster than they should, and they should be under the dominion of, of what God wanted. But right now they're they're kind of they're going off on their own way. And we get mad because you know, the blender doesn't work anymore. And I want to make my smoothie this morning because I'm trying to be healthy. So I just, you know, say, forget it, it doesn't work. And I go eat five slices of cold pizza. <laughs> so now not only do I not have dominion over the blender, but not no dominion over my own body and you know the rest. Welcome to a chaotic world, right? Jesus came to restore this glory so that... Adam and Eve, when they said we're going our own way, God said, well, therefore you are cursed and you must leave the garden, no longer exercising dominion over creation as I intended it under my rule, but now receiving the curse of death. Jesus came to restore that. Came to restore. He came to restore that dominion that God had created us to have over creation underneath his rule. Well, you might be thinking to yourself, ow, oh, that sounds a little bit weird. Like dominion? What's going on here? Well, let's just verify that a moment through Scripture. On the screen, Genesis 1, to 28. This is Moses writing about what happened in the garden by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. This is the word of God. This is true. Genesis 1, 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea. John Flores, you're out in the hallway providing security. You can finally catch all those fish that you've been trying to catch. And over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created man. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. That's the glory we want. That's why we watch the movies that had the happy endings and they ride off happily in the sunset and live happily ever after. That's what we're seeking in that Disney lights parade, you know? And you go, I hope it never ends, and it does. And then you have to go to the parking lot with 45,000 other people that were looking for that glory. And suddenly it's very non-glorious as you fight to get out of Disney and stay, stay at the Motel 6. And there are creeping things there, but you don't have dominion over them. See, God's intention for mankind is that everything would be in subjection To him, ultimately, but we would be vice regents ruling underneath him. We lost that. We exchanged the glory of God, the creator, for the glory of the creation. We said, you know, I'm going to worship me. I'm going to worship my car. I'm going to worship my career. I'm going to worship my bank account. I'm going to worship what you think of me. And we exchanged it. That's what they did. The Bible says we were with them back then. We would have made the exact same decisions as they would have, but Christ came to recover that glory that we lost. Someone had to pay the penalty. Death was the penalty for rebellion, a loss of glory. Someone had to come to restore this glory. It it is this glory that God gave Adam and Eve to exercise his dominion over his creation under his rule that we all long for that Christ restored. Point two. The glory Christ recovered. The glory Christ recovered. Again, I just want to draw your attention to verses 8 and 9 before we really get into verses 10 through 18. Putting everything in subjection under his feet. Hebrews 2.8. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. Verse 9. But we see him... Christ, who for a little while was made lower than the angels. This is speaking of Christ's incarnation, God becoming man, fully God, fully man. Namely, Jesus crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for us all. Jesus had to come as a man, willingly left glory that he had with the Father in heaven, fully God but now fully man, to come to this earth to recover the glory that we lost in the garden. See, friends, this is the true meaning and the true joy of Christmas. It is true. It's true. Every person on this earth runs on the borrowed capital of Christianity when they have any joy during Christmas. They may not know it. They may not acknowledge it. But the money in that bank account to have any fun, any great times, any gifts, any joy in Christmas, that is provided by God because of what Christ has done. God in his mercy sent Christ to be our Savior. He came as a man. That's what it means in verse 9, a little lower than the angel. To succeed where Adam and every man and woman since has failed, Jesus is crowned with glory because he succeeded in a garden where Adam failed in a garden. Jesus had to become flesh and blood. A man had to do it to be like his brothers and his sisters. That's those who are God's elect. This is the glory of Advent. We lost the glory in a garden. Jesus regains the glory in a garden. I recently visited the, the Holy Lands with my wife. And I saw many, many things. I saw many monuments. I saw many beautiful churches. I saw uh, the Sea of Galilee. We went to other cities like Ephesus. And and we saw beautiful things in Rome and truly amazing. And we were, I was impressed. I was. There were times we'd walk around a corner and see something and just go, wow. 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 But the thing that moved me the most was a patch of dirt in a brown hillside. Right outside of Jerusalem, the Garden of Gethsemane. I took a picture of it. it Maybe hard for you to see there. I'm glad it's kind of hard for you to see. It's very non glorious. It's just sandy dirt there underneath these thousand year old olive trees. That's right, an olive tree lives about a thousand years. And as I walked by that, The thing that impacted me the most on that trip is that my Lord, on a dusty hillside, right here, underneath these olive trees, maybe not these, but those that preceded them, knelt down, and he passed the test that Adam failed. Adam said, not your will, but my will. And Jesus said, not my will, but your will. Where we failed, he succeeded. There in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he won back the glory of God as he proceeded from the Garden of Gethsemane to the cross as we sang about and paid that penalty we paid and then rose from the dead three days later, God certifying the payment and making a pathway for us to the glory that only Christ can win for us. Verse 10 tells us that he's the founder of our salvation. Do you see that? Look at verse 10 with me. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation. That word founder, translated there in the ESV and the NASB, New American Standard Bible, is translated author. Actually, the Greek word is archegos, and that Greek word has a range of meaning. One of the meanings is founder, one is author. Actually, you could also translate it pioneer. What that means is that Jesus here went before us by his suffering to bring us to glory. This is the meaning of Christmas. He was born to die. He was born to die. He was born to resurrect from the dead. He was born to come back again. It's all of them. It's all of them. It's all of them. Part of it is the little baby probably in a cave somewhere. We went to the the church there where uh, they say that over the spot where Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Probably in a cave-like structure. But he was also born to live the perfect life that you and I need. God requires you to live perfectly. You can't. Jesus lived that for us. He was born to die a horrible death naked and shamed on a cross to pay the penalty for your rebellion and my rebellion. But he was also born to resurrect from the dead three days later and and defeat, sin and death is defeated. I love that song we sang, death is crushed. I think of God's preaching the gospel to Adam and Eve. The seed of the woman will crush the head, the seed of the serpent. And he came. He came. To then come back one day in his second advent to consummate glory for us. No more broken bodies. No more sin. Glory forever and ever and ever. That is what Jesus came to do. He's the pioneer of our faith. He is the author of our faith. He's the founder of our faith. This is the faith that we have that's been given to us. that That we contend for the faith once and for all delivered by God to us in Christ. When did Jesus suffer? It says here in verse 10 that he brought us into glory through his suffering. You see that? Made the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Crowned with glory because of the suffering of death. How did Jesus suffer? Well, he suffered passively when he was born as a baby into this fallen world. We have a few babies here this morning. I mean, physically babies. And, 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 it's, and it's difficult. It's difficult. We have a lot of the other babies, but the physical, you know, it's difficult, right? Someone changes your diaper, they're holding you, you're crying, you can't communicate. They suffer. Bless their heart. They start teething. One of my granddaughters is teething. I mean, she's like, she has a water fountain in her mouth. She's just like, they suffer. He suffered. Gee, God suffered that way. What a humble God. What a rescue mission. What a founder. What a pioneer. What a plan. Wow. But then he suffered. He suffered that night when he knelt down and he said, oh, not my will, but your will. He was sweating sweating so much, it was like he was bleeding. I mean, he, he cried out a moment earlier, right? This is where he becomes his high priest. And he said, oh, God, God, is there any other way? That was a real cry from a real human being who was really asking, is there another way? Because he knew what it meant. But he said, not my will, but your will. When I cry out, is there another way? I often say, well, forget your will. I'm running to hide my own life. I'm not doing this. Jesus passed the test. He Suffered on that cross, the rejection of the Father, the wrath of God, the humiliation. See, verses 11 to 14 in our text of Hebrews 2 describe how Jesus was made suitable. He had to become a man to do all that suffering. Why? Oh, I love verse 14. Look at it. Since therefore the children share in the flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. God made good on his promise in the Garden of Eden to crush the head of Satan when Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead. He defeated death for us. And the result is verse 15. He delivers us who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. That's us. That's us. And then verse 16, we learn that Jesus came to help the offspring of Abraham. I want you to look at that phrase. Look at the text with me. See that at the end of 16, the offspring of Abraham. I want you to put your finger on a few other words in this text. Look at the word brothers. Look at verse 11. See it? He's not ashamed to call them brothers. Look at verse 12. I will tell of your name to my brothers And look at verse 17, be made like his brothers. Then I want you to see one other word, children. See that in verse 13, and again, I will entrust him, behold, I and the children God has given me. Look at verse 14, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood. And finally, the word sons, verse 10, bringing many sons to glory. By the way, that's generic. That's sons and daughters. What do all those have in common? Family. Family. I believe that our pioneer, the author of our salvation, the the, the one who won the victory, came to bring us back home. Sons and daughters to glory. One of my favorite songs at Christmas would be, I'll be home for Christmas. Without fail, I I will cry either on that song and some wonderful pictures of military men coming home from overseas because that was my case. Or I will cry at a good parade. Yeah, you didn't know that, did you? Oh, yeah. Forget Bambi. Good parades, patriotic parades, I will cry. Or when I go vote. I cried when I went and voted. I'm serious. I voted early at Miami Lakes Community Center. And I cried because I, I think about my dad, who's since gone to be with the Lord. And my mom, who's in the back, coming to this country to become citizens and how precious it is. I, I cry because I remember when Ressi sang the, the, the uh, um, national anthem for the very first time. I looked over at her and she's crying. I said, why are you crying? It was at my daughter's graduation. She goes, this is the first time I'm singing it as a citizen. Ressie's a little Filipino about this tall. I cry because that's my background of people who came to this country from places where you can't vote. And so when I was at Miami Lakes Community Center... I heard all the different languages, I saw all the different looking people, Haitians, Cubans, Colombians, Chileans, Argentinians, white, black, brown, everything in between, and I just heard all the voices. I, I walked in, it was early in the morning, and I saw these old Cuban men with a, just a light in their eyes, like I can go vote. I cried. I cried. So I cry at weird things. But here, here, I'll be home for Christmas. You know the song, right? I'll be home for Christmas. Think of Michael Bublé singing it right now. I'll be home for Christmas. You can plan on me. Please have snow. Okay, we don't have any snow. And mistletoe and presents by the tree. But here's the next lyric. Christmas Eve will find me where the love light gleams. I'll be home for Christmas if only... In my dreams. You don't have to dream about it anymore. Jesus came to bring you home for Christmas. Because the thing you want, the money you spend at all those places, the the thing we all are trying to find for that perfect gift for our wife or fiancé or whatever, home is Christ and restoring the glory God made us for. Even if we don't understand it. You can be home for Christmas. Because Christ came to bring you home. He made a way home. He made a way home. Jesus brings us home. How does he bring us home? Well, that's where you got to do a little bit of thinking about a big word. Look at verse 17. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation. Huh? For the sins of the people. This is how he brought us home. This is how Jesus restores the glory. The word propitiation carries with it a meaning of taking care of the negative part of of sinning against someone or lying against someone or offending someone. The, The fancy word for that is wrath. And giving us also the very thing that would make that person now have favor on us or smile upon us. To propitiate something is to take away the thing that would make you angry, rightfully angry and wrathful, and to also provide the thing that would then win your favor. That's that word propitiation. And it could only be done by God becoming a man, like his brothers, and then dying, living the perfect life. That's going to be the the credit that we need for, to have God's favor. And then dying on the cross to take the debit, the penalty that we we deserve, and then rising from the dead to win the battle. That's what that propitiation means. That's how we come home. We come home when God brings us home through the death, resurrection of Jesus Christ. The the illustration that I can give you on propitiation is imagine if you stole $10 million from someone, even a family member, maybe your father, you have a wealthy father. So you stole $10 million and the law is after you. You're going to be thrown into jail. But your father also expects you to have $10 million in your account. And so what this idea of propitiation is all about, and unbeliever, this is at the core of the gospel, is this. Jesus comes and pays the penalty for having stolen those $10 million. He takes the debt of that $10 million away. But you still have an empty bank account, that your father expects to have $10 million in it. Through his perfect life, he deposits to your credit the $10 million of his perfect life. So he takes the debt that you owe by his death on the cross, he gives you the credit of his perfect life, so that when we come to God, when we come home, we can come home, we have what God requires in Christ. That's why he's the founder and perfecter of our Faith. This is what Jesus does for us as the great high priest. Verse 17. He intercedes for us, makes a way home. Here's the appeal. Here's my appeal to you. Non Christian, Christian. Don't settle for man's glory, it can be alluring it could draw hearts, whether it's the glory of the vocation you want, the profession you want, whether it's the glory for the respect that you want, the glory of the bank account that you wish you had, or the home that you're being longing for, or the bicycle you want for young people, or whatever. Some computer game that you want. Um, Whatever you might want to fill it in. They're not bad things, but that glory is not the ultimate glory. Look to Christ's glory. This is his glory. That God himself would open the heavens and reveal to you the glory that he intended for us. That we, underneath his rule as vice regents, would have dominion over his creation. Actually, his new creation in Christ. That we would find our way home because he finds us and brings us home. And he adopts us as his sons and his daughters and his children. As the offspring of Abraham. That's why Jesus came. To live the perfect life, suffer on the cross a horrible death, take the wrath of God, rise from the dead, send into heaven, and we'll come back one day. May God give us the grace to see the glory. To see the glory. That is my prayer. Here's another appeal. Here's another appeal. That when you look at that glory, it would be populated with a real new heavens and new earth. We're going to be talking about that in the weeks to come in our series. That that you would understand that glory means exercising dominion over God's new creation. And what I hope is that you do not let the image of eternity be that of us floating around as chubby creatures strumming our harps. You know I'm on a personal vendetta against angels that do not represent biblical angels? (laughs) But also, listen, what kind of vision of glory is that? I'm going to be this sort of, you know, weird looking creature floating around, strumming an angel. No, 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 no. We will be hard bodied saints running God's new creation under his rule, having a blast living in the glory Jesus restored us to do forever. Kevin will be saved. Scaling redwoods that are 500 feet tall and with no fear of falling. (laughs) Do you understand that? It's, It's something we can't imagine. It's a glory beyond anything that man can even try to emulate beyond the bright lights of Disney or the great gifts you will receive this Christmas, beyond that promotion or success in your vocation or schooling, beyond that home you long for, beyond the joy of a Christmas meal and, and temporary goodwill you may experience with family and friends, his glory would be all-consuming, brightly burning, soul-satisfying, eternal peace with God and with one another and fruitful work in his eternal city. Forever and ever and ever. Amen. The toilet will finally flush properly. (laughs) So I appeal to you, Mr. and Miss Unbeliever, to repent of trying to get glory your own way and believe in Christ's way of glory through his death and resurrection, that you would not live for your own glory, but for his glory, and that God would open your eyes to that. And Mr. and Mrs. Believer, right? Even though we are saved, there are days that we can be temporarily blinded. I'm living for Al's glory. I'm buying the lie of the temporary lights of this world and thinking that glory will satisfy. And listen, enjoy it. Have fun. Disney's great. This is not a polemic against Disney. Just be careful when you watch their movies. But I would say this. There's a glory. Don't settle for that. Enjoy that. But be thinking about the glory to come. Be thinking about the glory to come. I pray, God, awaken our souls to this beautiful vision of Christ and his glory. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Worship team, would you please come forward? Lord, I thank you for the glory that we see veiled even now in your word. We see sort of through a glass dimly. But then we will see face to face. And when we see you face to face, we have the promise that you will deliver us to that place blameless and with great joy. That means both you will have great joy and your joy will ignite a joy in us that we've never experienced. No present, no promotion. Nothing can approximate the joy of that day. Then we go run into the fields or mountains or hills or streams or forests or beaches or whatever that you've designed in the new creation, restored by Christ and his resurrection as it consummates that you're coming. And we say, this is what we will experience forever and ever and ever. And that vision will enable us today, kneeling in a dusty garden, metaphorically speaking, to say, not my will, but your will be done, Lord. Even when it really is tempting to do my will. Thank you for your mercy. You exhibit it for your name's sake, Jesus. For the glory of your name. Lord, thank you that you are faithful to your covenant in Christ. It's based on what he has done. We are so grateful. Lord, awaken our souls now, we pray, to this truth in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us stand, let us sing Awake, Awake My Soul as a prayer and an amen to God's word this morning.